Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Good afternoon. I am the Blue Raven, Thomas here, a.k.a. the Blue Raven. And I got... On with me right now on the phone line with me a very special guest first time I have I've had Mr. Ralph Epperson on with me very honored to have him as a guest with me Mr. Ralph Epperson he's a writer and of many books uh, and also he's also made many DVDs and you can purchase his books and DVDs at his website. His website is www.ralph-epperson.com. And he has a lot of good information in his books. He's going to be sharing here shortly. Mr. Ralph Epperson, he's also been on with Bill Cooper, several radio broadcasts in the past he's done with Mr. Bill Cooper, and uh, Bill Cooper will always be missed. This Mr. Bill Cooper got a lot of truth out, and so did um, Mr. Ralph Epperson. And recently, Mr. Ralph Epperson was on with Clyde Lewis, Ground Zero Radio, on Nationwide Radio on a lot of radio stations across the United States. I actually heard that entire broadcast. And it was a very good broadcast, good information that Mr. Ralph Epperson got out. And without delaying any further, I'm going to get Mr. Ralph Epperson on right now. And thank you very much for joining me, Mr. Epperson. It is a great honor to have you on with me. And I'm going to be quiet, and I'm going to be listening now. Thank you very much. And I'll, I'll just call you Blue Raven if I may, I've got that written down on a sheet of paper in front of me, so when it's appropriate, I'll use those words. Yeah, yeah I do want to thank you for inviting me on. Uh, it's always an opportunity and a, a thankful one. Thank you. <laughs> Pretty, a good one, because I am a teacher and I'm trying to educate, and I'm, I know this will be maybe two hours long, and I'm hoping that if you uh, cannot finish it with me, uh, it'll be on the archive program, because what I'm about to say if I can do it in two hours, and I believe I can, is going to be revolutionary. I would dare say that there's probably no one else in this nation saying what I'm going to say uh, this afternoon. So please, just bear with me. I'm going to ask you all to be on a jury and uh, hold your, op your opinion, your verdict, until after I'm finished. And then even then, I would dare say that even if you reject a couple things I say, please notice that the rest of the material will convince you that I'm right. I have discovered an enormous truth that I'm going to share with you. And I'll be honest with you, I don't believe I know of anyone else that has discovered this truth, including Bill Cooper. But of course, when I was on Bill Cooper's program way back, I think it was in the late 80s, uh, neither of us knew what, we, what, what I know now. And of course, Cooper passed away, I think, in 2001. So he would have, 
we neither of us have discovered what I've discovered since. So let's get on with this thing because we're going to talk about why America is headed for trouble. And I'm going to try to prove to you, and uh, this is a conclusion that I'm going to try to prove. Our founding fathers gave Congress total, unlimited, tyrannical, despotic power in the Constitution. We've all seen Barack Obama make law, amend law, change law, make exemptions to law, and he has no constitutional uh, ability to do so, and we'll try to discuss that as well. But he's doing it for a very important reason I'm going to conclude with, and we're going to lay the foundation to show you that everything this government is doing today is constitutional. That's why the Congress and the Supreme Court are not impeaching Barack Obama. And we'll explain what that means in a few more minutes. Now, to start this story, I've got to go back to a thing called the Declaratory Act. Declaratory. March 18, 1766. Now, if you've got a computer, uh, you're sitting on a computer right now, you can do a, a Google search and try to get a copy of it uh, where you can read it. Uh, there are copies where they actually show you the actual act itself, but you want to be able to read it uh, so that you can underline it and actually print it out. Because we're going to read from the one, two, three, fourth paragraph, because this is the reason we declared our independence from Great Britain. Let's read together. Now, I'm going to skip a little part of the line, but we're in the fourth paragraph, and it says, The king's majesty had and of right ought to have full power and authority to make laws and statutes of sufficient force and validity to bind the colonies and people of America because we were subjects of the crown of Great Britain. And here's the key. The power will be in all cases whatsoever. All cases whatsoever. That is a grant of power that is absolutely tyrannical, despotic, because it is unlimited. Now, laying that down as a foundation, I want to bring to your attention Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin is defined, as noted as being one of our great founding fathers. He signed both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, only one of nine men that did that. But I'm going to give you a little background as to what he taught his fellow uh, uh, signers of both the Declaration and the Constitution. In 1771, he started writing his autobiography, and it was published in 1937 by P.F. Collier. Uh, they uh, they uh, created a, a panel, a commission, to write a draft of the Declaration. On page 110 of his autobiography, he brought to our attention two things of interest. And please pay attention. This is really crucial. This is in an autobiography, which means Ben Franklin wrote it himself. He and his friends were in the, apparently the state of Pennsylvania legislature, and they wanted to buy gunpowder, gunpowder. But the Quakers in the legislature would not allow them to do so because it was an ingredient of war. So Franklin and his friends said, here's the way to do this. We'll create a bill for 3,000 pounds, meaning it's not weight, it's in the money of the day in England, the English pound. 
3,000 pounds to buy bread, flour, wheat, or other grain. So they said, okay, that's fine. I guess we're going to buy, buy some bread for the prisons or maybe the Congress or poor people, wherever it is. So they approved the legislation. Ben Franklin took the 3,000 pounds and bought gunpowder. And they said, wait a minute, that's not permitted because that's an article of war, and we didn't authorize that. And Brian Franklin said, yes, you did. Gunpowder is a grain, and you gave us permission to buy, quote, other grain, unquote, which means it's broad, all-encompassing. We could do whatever we wanted to as long as it was a grain, and gunpowder is that. The second example is they wanted, to, they wanted to buy a great gun. I presume this was a cannon. But, of course, once again, the Quakers, they knew, they knew the Quakers would never approve it because it was an article of war. So they decided to write up a piece of legislation to buy a fire engine to put out fires. Ben Franklin was in the fire insurance business in those days in Pennsylvania. So, um, or, so I guess they felt uh, that he knew what he was doing and we needed a fire engine. So they bought the great gun. And when the, the Quakers objected, he said, no, wait a minute. Certainly a great gun is a fire engine, end quote. Do you see Ben Franklin taught his fellow legislators how to use words to deceive? And we're now going to see examples of that. In 1787, they convened the uh, the uh, uh, Constitutional Convention, where they were going to write the Constitution. But before we get into that, I want to help you understand that there is a conspiracy because we're going to ta start talking about a conspiracy even in our government way back when this uh, document was written. On July the 16th, 1992, as Bill Clinton was giving his acceptance speech at the Democrat National Convention, he made this quote live National, nationally on live television. As a teenager, I heard John Kennedy summons to citizenship. And then as a student at Georgetown, I heard that call clarified by a professor I had named Carol Quigley. That's not a, a woman, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, -L, which means it was Dr. Carol Quigley, his professor at Georgetown. And then he went on, to, he went on to point out that these were the two men that got him into politics. We, of course, all know who John Kennedy was, but who's Dr. Carol Quigley? Clinton graduated from George from high school in '64 and went to Georgetown, and there he was a student of Dr. Carol Quigley, and he graduated in 1968. So now we have a, a, an interesting uh, scenario because. He was praising Dr. Quigley because he taught him how to get into politics. Now, let's talk about that because during his time in, as a student at Georgetown, Quigley published his book in 1968, 66, meaning halfway between 64 and 68. So we know that Clinton had to read Tragedy and Hope. Uh, Quigley was a uh, teacher previously at uh, Georgetown, at uh, uh, let's see, Harvard and Princeton, but then came to Georgetown. And by the way, he got his PhD from Harvard, so he was considered to be a, a traditional liberal establishment uh, professor. So now let's go to his book, 
tragedy and hope because we're now going to read the very same words that we know that Bill Clinton read, page 950. Dr. Quigley wrote, there does exist and has existed for a generation an international Anglophile network. Now, the word Anglophile means basically controlled by Englishmen, but notice it was international. Okay. This network, which we may identify as the round cable groups, has no aversion to cooperating with the communists or any other group and frequently does so. He went on to point out on page 950 that he learned about it about 20 years before he wrote the book and was permitted for two years to actually view what he said were their secret papers and records. And then he said, I have no aversion to it or more, most of its aims. So Clinton also has no aversion to this international uh, uh, Anglophile network because he praised Dr. Quigley for, hey, what, 12 years later, 68 to 14, uh, 14 years later, he praised him on live national television, which means he supported this uh, uh, international network. And by the way, that international network led him to the presidency because they made sure he was elected. Page, 90, page 73, Quigley wrote, listen to this, America. This is going to explain why we have an, a recession in America. The network expected to control both political parties equally. Control both political parties equally. I've been calling it the Democrat, the Republican Party for probably 30 years. Okay, then he says some of them intended to contribute to both political parties and to allow an alternation of the two parties in public office in order to conceal their own influence, inhibit any exhibition of independence by politicians, and listen to this, America, allow the electorate to believe they were exercising their own free choice. Do you understand? They select two men, one from the Democrats to the, and one in the Republicans. They make sure they get the nominations, and then we elect one of them, and they win because they supported both of them. Barack Obama, I'm sorry, Bill Clinton is not a conspiracy theorist. He is a conspiracy realist. He knows it does exist. Now, let's now talk about this recession we're in because Bill Clinton is the one who started it. Let me show you how this worked. First of all, before I get into that, uh, that uh, proof about how Bill Clinton and his administration started this recession, I want to talk about the fa a little bit about bankers. Now, when you go down to the bank and borrow money for your car or you get a mortgage for your house, you are borrowing someone else's money. It doesn't belong to the bank. It belongs to you and your other depositors. And so the, the purpose of that is to make sure that when they loan the money out, they're only going to loan it to people who will agree to pay it back. They will not, not make loans to people who will not be able to pay it back. Because when they do, the depositors have to dig into it and match what they paid out but didn't receive back in return. So no banker will loan money to people who cannot pay it back. But there is a way that they can, and that's what happened. 
and that's what's happening today. I want to refer you to a New York Times article, and by the way, I got this off the internet. You can copy right down New York Times, September 30th, 1999, and listen to what this thing is going to tell us. Quote, it says, in a move that helped could, I'm sorry, in a move that could help increase home ownership rates among minorities and low-income consumers, the Fannie Mae Corporation will encourage banks to extend home mortgages to individuals whose credit is generally not good enough to qualify for conventional loans. Fannie Mae has been under increasing pressure from the Clinton administration, the Clintons, to expand mortgage loans among low and moderate income people. 1999, Clinton wants Congress, and I wants the bankers, to make loans to people who can't pay it back. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. No banker will do that unless he got a promise he'll get bailed out. In fact, even in the article, a man by the name of Peter Ellison, who's a resident fellow of the American Enterprise Institute, said this, quote, if they fail, these loans fail, the government will have to step up and bail them out, end quote. He was telling us they're going to have to do this because people who cannot pay their loans back will cause the bank's loans to fail. And when they do, they'll get bailed out. So where does the government get the money? to bail them out from the Federal Reserve, from Congress. Where does Congress get the money to bail them out? They get it from the Federal Reserve. Where does the Federal Reserve get it from? The taxpayers, but the taxpayers don't get bailed out. Now, notice this. We just learned that Bill Clinton learned that this international network controls both political parties equally. Clinton was a Democrat, George Bush, the son, was a Republican, and now we got Barack Obama, a Democrat, and all of them are keeping this depression or recession, call it what you will, going for a very important reason. Why? We thought we'd elect Bush and he'd stop it. No, Obama said he'd stop it, but it doesn't matter because they, all three of them, are controlled by the international Anglophile network, and they know it, and they're doing what they want to do with you and I and our taxpayers' money. Now, I want to give you a quick review of how someone else can solve a depression. Now, we all talk about the 1929 depression, but we don't talk about the one that occurred in 1920, and there's a very important reason for that. The Depression of 1920 started in 1920 with 12% unemployment, 12%. I think the highest Obama and Bush got involved with was only 8%, so it's another 50% larger. Now, I want to quote from a magazine called the Intercollegiate Review, a journal of scholarship and opinion, the fall 2009 edition. Unemployment in 1920 had jumped from 4% to 12%, and the gross national product declined by 17%. Warren G. Harding was elected in November of 1920 and promised action on solving the crisis. He was inaugurated on March the 4th, 1921, 
And the first thing he did was cut the budget in half for 1921 to 1922. He, he cut the tax rates for all income groups, giving people money again, and the national debt was reduced by one third. By the late summer of 1921, which means August or maybe September, only five months after he was inaugurated, the unemployment rate was down to 6.7%, which is about half. In less than six months, the unemployment rate was cut to 6.7 and was only 2.4% in the middle of 1922. 2.4% in less than a year. In other words, Obama, Bush, and Clinton have got 9% unemployment, and we still have it. Why? Here's a successful attempt to control, and not only control, but eliminate a recession, a depression, which is far more severe, but Obama, Bush, and Clinton don't know that because they didn't know about the 1920 uh, depression. In other words, Bush, Clinton, and Obama want us in a recession. Now, let's talk briefly about the difference between the United States and the United States of America. Now, if you go to your uh, constitution, your declaration first, the top of which it says it's the declaration of the of a, a country called America, and he said the states, the thirteen original states, were united. The word "united" is not capitalized. It's not a noun, which means it's not a name. It's a fact that they were the states. And by the way, when you refer to the states, and you know which thirteen you're referring to. You capitalize the word S in the letter S in states. So we were America, a, a, a nation created by the states who were united. So we've got a nation called America, and now we're going to see that they have another government called the government of the United States. Now, to separate the powers, notice that when King George was given the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever, they... Uh, Wait, I guess we didn't finish the declaration. I guess I should do that first. Let's get into the declaration. Let's go back to that. I want to read from the second paragraph. Then we'll get, we'll get into the United States versus America. Here we go. This is the second paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and amongst these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But then just go down to the bottom, and this is where we start to learn what our founding fathers did to us, because they learned from Ben Franklin they can use words to deceive. The history, this is quoting from the Declaration, July 4th, 1776. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations. Now, the word usurpations is a violation of sovereignty. Free men are sovereign. No government controls them. So now we were losing our sovereignty under this grant of power called the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. And then they went on, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. Now, the word tyranny is defined as absolute power and has been defined as absolute power for thousands of years. Governments all over the world create tyrannical governments. That means they got all power. 
But our founding fathers said that tyranny, the tyranny King George was creating, was absolute. They were saying an absolute, absolute tyranny. In other words, total, unlimited power. Now, they listed, it went on to say, uh, to prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And we're going to now read the 22nd of these in the listing of they're now trying to explain why the citizens of this nation called America were now declaring our independence. King George was guilty of suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. This sentence was written just 10 years after the Declaratory Act. In other words, our founding fathers, the people of America, had lived under this act for 12, 10 years, and they now decided enough is enough. It's an absolute tyranny, and we're going to declare independence because they knew the exact precise words of the Declaratory Act, the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. Now, let's now cover the Constitution. The Constitution was created... On, in 1787, 11 years later. And we're going to see that they were aware of the total power in one branch of government under King George. He had the power to legislate, uh, create uh, judicial branches, and also the uh, uh, legislative branches with the power to, to uh, legislate in all cases whatsoever. So they were going to divide the power into three branches. One was called the Legislative, which was in Article 1, which was intended to pass the law. The executive was in Article 2 to enforce the laws, and the judicial was to interpret the laws. So now let's go to the Constitution. We're now going to read the powers granted, delegated to Congress in Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution, 1787. All legislative powers herein granted, herein granted. And then they went through and listed 18 of them in Section 8. Now, let's just do this as a little exercise. Uh, Congress has taxed us to build a space telescope called the Hubble Space Telescope. Now, we're going to see whether or not that is a granted power. It talks about granted powers. There's 18 of them. So we'd better read to make sure that it was granted by our founding fathers. They actually said Congress shall have the power to orbit and tax the American people to build a space telescope. So here we're going to just briefly cover these granted powers. Congress shall have power to collect taxes. Well, they do that to pay for the telescope. To borrow money. Well, they maybe did that to pay for it. To regulate commerce. To uh, create Rules of naturalization, that's got nothing to do with, uh, with uh, space telescopes. Coin money, that's got nothing to do with it. Publish counterfeiting, that doesn't got anything to do with it. Establish post offices, nah, who cares? Uh, promote science with uh, patents and uh, copyrights. Uh, constitute tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court. Punish piracies. Declare war. Raise an army. Provide for a navy. Enforce the, uh, give the power for the regulation of land and naval forces, uh, call forth the militia, and they had to, uh, the 16th was to organize and, uh, just, and uh, the militia, etc. But I, I, did any of those sound like they knew that there was a power to legislate 
of Howard to raise money, tax money, to build a space telescope. How could they have even envisioned such a thing? But I hate to tell you, America, it's up there. Congress did have feel they had the delegated power, and we'll talk about that in a minute in another uh, uh, context. But they felt they had it because they passed the bill to build uh, that, you know, let NASA build it, and it's up there today. So let's see if we can find the delegated power to do that to over 200 years later. Yes, here it is in the 17th uh, clause, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. Congress shall have the power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever. Now, I want you to remind, remember that we've already talked about those two, those same words, the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever, at least twice. Once in the Declaratory Act of 1766, King George was granted the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. The, the assembled delegates in the Declaration decided that they were aware of the declaratory action. They specifically mentioned that King George had this power, the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever, and we're declaring our independence because of it. We don't want your stinking power. Now, so now they just gave that power to Congress. Why? I've been asking this question for three years approximately, maybe more, I don't know. I'm not very good at keeping dates, but I know it's been some time. And I can't get anybody to answer that. Why did they use the same identical words, the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever, when they gave Congress that power? They were supposed to separate the power, have a balance of power with the Congress and the legislative and the judicial, all having equal power. So that if one power got too powerful, the others would step up and declare that to be an act of, of the impeachment. And they should be impeaching uh, uh, Barack Obama when he makes law, amends law, changes law, exempts law, etc. And they're doing nothing about it. Why? The Supreme Court has not brought charges. The people in Congress have not brought charges. Why? Because they all know they've got the power. Under Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. The power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. 11 years before, uh, in fact, 21 years before King George was given that power, Congress, the, the founders in the Declaration admitted that power was an absolute tyranny and that they just gave the absolute tyranny power to Congress. Now, why did they do that? I'm still answering. If any of you have an answer, please hold it. Maybe during the question and answer period, uh, we, might, we might have time for it. If so, you can give me your explanation. Why did they do that? But now, let's finish. We're not through yet. Let's keep reading. Congress shall have the power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district as may, by session of particular states and the acceptance of Congress, become the seat of the government of the United States. We're not the United States. We're one of the states of America. I live in Arizona, one of the states of America. I'm not in the United States. Oh, but we'll see in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yes, we are. But notice, they're talking about a different government called the government of the United States. Now, 
and it's called the government of the United States. Now, wait a minute. I'm told that, that the people in Washington, D.C. have a congressman, but he doesn't, has, doesn't have the power to vote, but they pay income taxes. Isn't that called the power to, uh, to, uh, for taxation without representation? They have a representative, but he has no vote. Congress is in complete control of what Washington, D.C. does because they're the ones who administer whatever laws that D.C. gets. And I'll give you two examples. Washington, D.C. has a curfew. Where's the delegated power for that? It doesn't exist. Oh, yes, it does. The power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. So Congress allowed them to write a law creating uh, a curfew. Secondly, a, a man or a person was arrested for carrying a gun in a holster in Washington, D.C., and he was charged with uh, a violation of law in Washington, D.C. that Congress had passed, so there was no Second Amendment. In other words, they have a representative, but no power. But notice, they've got all power, and our founding fathers know that. That's the key to this whole process. We have got to understand that. Now, let's talk about how this power extends to you and I. I want to go, uh, let's see, let's do it this way. Uh, I'm going to skip the next section. We'll come back and cover that in a minute. I want to define the difference between a right and a privilege. A right is defined as the ability to act morally without asking permission. And the reason you're somewhat restricted in your freedom is because it says act morally, which means you don't have the right to punch your neighbor in the nose, but you have the right to protect your property. You have the right to seek a job, your right to get married, etc. And you don't need a license or a granted privilege to do so. A privilege is permission to act morally. It must be granted by government. Now, there's a big to-do about marriage licenses. And now, wait a minute. Does Congress have the uh, delegated power to require the states to issue licenses to homosexual or lesbian couples? No, it's not delegated, but it is under the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. So the, the Washington, D.C., the, uh, the judge, a federal judge, has determined that they have the uh, they can have this power under a privilege because, once again, the license can be revoked. You, you and your a mate can revoke the license because it's a privilege. It's not a right. You, have, you don't even have the right to get married. You need government to grant you the privilege to be married. Now, so there's a difference between a right and a privilege. And we talked about the sovereign right because sovereign people have Unalienable rights that government cannot take away, but we're going to see that they have. Now, there's also a, diff a difference between liberty and freedom. Now, hold on, America. This is very controversial, but just be open. Let's talk as a, as a, a man trying to make a case in front of you as a jury. Liberty is defined, I'm sorry, freedom is defined as the unalienable right to act morally. You want the right to go get married? Uh, get married, you have that right. You have the right to uh, seek a job. Yes, you do. You have the right to travel. All these are unalienable rights. Government has no right to interfere. But there's a definition of a word called liberty. Remember, 
Our founding fathers even wrote it into the Declaration. Amongst these unbelievable rights are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Liberty is defined as each man being free to decide for himself what is right and wrong. Now, wait a minute. That's a little bit different than acting morally, because if this person who's living under liberty wants to punch you in the nose, he has the right. No one has the right to interfere with his right to liberty. But you and I are restricted by, well, I'll say most of us are, I don't know. Most of us are restricted by freedom. I don't have the right to punch you in the nose, but under liberty you do. And our founding fathers wrote about it. They had the sons of liberty. They had the tree of liberty. We later got the Statue of Liberty. It's in in Harbor, Harbor of New York City, carrying the torch of not freedom, the torch of liberty, meaning someday we'll all be free to decide for ourselves. Now, let me codify that for you. I want to read a little, just a couple of quick sentences from a thing called the Book of the Law, written by Alistair Crowley. Now, that's the way I pronounce his name. He was an, a, an Englishman. But let me just tell you, on page 9 of this little book, you get a copy yourself and read it. It says, this book lays down a simple code of contact, conduct. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. There is no law beyond, beyond do what thou wilt. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. There is no law beyond do what thou wilt, which means you have the right to liberty to do what thou wilt. If you want to punch your neighbor in the nose, according to Aleister Crowley, and the definition of liberty granted to you as being an unalienable right, you have the right to do so. And this is where we're going in America today, ladies and gentlemen. We're going into a condition of liberty. It's called the New World Order. And we'll get into that if we have time at the very end. Now, now let's talk about what happened. Okay, let's, before we do that, we've got to get back to the Constitution. I want to get into the Tenth Amendment. Now, the Tenth Amendment was one of the Bill of Rights added later to the Constitution. It was not part of it, but later became a part of it. And let's read it together. It's called one of the Bill of Rights. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution. So in other words, there are powers beyond the powers delegated, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states or to the people. Now let me give you a little example to illustrate this point, and you can use this as well. I live, in, I live in Tucson, Arizona, and all you people around the country, in fact, the globe know that Arizona gets very hot during the summertime. So let's just say that I'm sitting out in my patio with a friend, and we both notice it's getting hot. And I say, oh, great, I got some lemonade. I just made it about an hour ago. It's in the refrigerator. I'll bring it out, and I'll bring two glasses, and we'll have some lemonade, and we'll cool off. So we bring the lemonade, and I'll say, Let's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour all the lemonade into, pour the lemonade into my glass first, and then whatever left over I'll give to you. The founding father said, we're going to pour the lemonade into the, into the glass, and whatever, whatever's left over belongs to you. But they just poured total power. Now, I poured the lemonade into the glass, and it fills the glass, which means there's no lemonade for my friend. I'm sorry. I told you I was going to do this. 
Our founding fathers said they were going to pour the lemonade into the Congress by the Constitution, and that whatever's left over belongs to the states. But they took total power. There's no power left for the states. Do you understand what I just said? This is well known by our founding fathers. It was well known by them. It's well known by our Congress. It's well known by our Supreme Court. This is why they can tax us to build a space telescope or create welfare. This is the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever, which our founding fathers gave Congress. And that means they've got total power with nothing left over to the states. And this is why they can tell a state clerk who was elected by the people to issue marriage licenses to a man and a woman, they can tell them to, to violate that law and that the Supreme Court's going to make them uh, have a law uh, 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 forcing them to give a privilege to a, a, a man and a, a two men or two women. Now, do you understand? The Tenth Amendment is null and void. It has no authority because they gave total, unlimited, despotic power, all of the lemonade, to the first class called the United States. Now, we've got to go further. We've got to go back to the, uh, to the, uh, uh, the uh, Article 1, Section 8. Notice that this power to legislate in all cases is only in Washington, D.C., it doesn't affect the various states. But conversely, the Tenth Amendment said they gave all power to Congress, and it does affect the states. But let me show you how you and I are citizens of the government of the United States because we volunteered to do so. Huh? Where did I do that? Let me now explain. Please be open. If you've got a copy of the Constitution, go to the 13th Amendment and read along with me. This was passed right after the Civil War, within months. You might remember the Civil War was allegedly fought over slavery. The American people thought it was the issue of slavery, although the people of the South thought it was fought over the states' rights. But basically, it was because the South had slaves and the North, basically, I'm told there were Northerners that had slaves in the North. But let's just say that Basically, the North had no slaves, the South did. So now we've got the 13th Amendment. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States. Now, what does that mean? The only power that they had to abolish slavery was in this, the district known as Columbia, the United States, the government, the seat of the government of the United States. Lincoln had no authority to free the slaves in the South. In fact, he didn't even have the authority to do it in the, Declar the uh, uh, Emancipation Proclamation. But it, it got the people fired up to know that they were freeing the slaves and the South thought that they did. But let's go back. Neither slavery nor involuntary, involuntary servitude. So slavery is defined as forcing someone else to work for you and they're not free to leave. They force you into a contract, and you will work. That's called slavery. Involuntary servitude is a contract. Now, I don't know whether they had a contract in those days. I guess it was just known that the slaves were the property of the slave owner. And if the slave left, he could get that. If they found the slave, they could bring it back, 
and because it was property. Now, what's involuntary servitude? A contract. If I if I uh, uh, force you to buy my car under a contract, you could argue that's involuntary servitude. I forced you to do so, but the contract is is uh, uh, written down and you signed it and I signed it, so it's a contract, but it's involuntary servitude. So the words mean basically the same thing. So we're going to abolish slavery in Washington D.C. and Washington D.C. only. Now let's talk about the 14th Amendment. This was passed three years later in 1868. All persons born or naturalized in the United States. Now let's talk about this. We're going to break it down a little at a time. All persons. Now wait a minute. We declared ourselves to be people who had sovereign rights, unalienable rights to life, liberty and other rights that no government could take away. Now we're saying we're called persons. All persons born are naturalized. Now, let's, I guess I should continue. All persons born are naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction era, which means you've agreed to it, are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. You see, before the 14th Amendment, all the people living in America were in the states, were citizens of that state. I was born in Arizona. I got, I don't call it a birth certificate. In fact, it's not even called that, but I got a piece of paper declaring that I was born in the state of Arizona. One of the, uh, at that time, it was a, a, 40, a 48th state, I think, of America. And I was born and certified by the doctor in the hospital, registered with the county. So I've got a, I won't call it, it's not a birth certificate. It's some sort of piece of paper saying I was born in, in Arizona. So I was a citizen of that state. Now, when I moved to California, I became a citizen of California. And when I moved to Oregon, I was a citizen of uh, Oregon. And when I came back to Arizona, I regained my citizenship. So now let's go back. All persons born, a person is one who lives by privilege. All persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Now, wait a minute. That means that some people have joint citizenship. By the way, the people that are in Washington, D.C., if they're born there, they're not citizens of any state. They're citizens of the United States born in Washington, D.C. Now, when they come to Arizona, they become a citizen of Arizona. But they're not a citizen because they were not a resident. But what you and I can be called citizens with joint citizenship. Now, how did we become a citizen of the United States? There's only two ways. All persons born are naturalized. Now, I was not born in Washington, D.C. I was born in Arizona, one of the 50 states of America. Now, you can, if I was born there, I would have been declared in the 14th Amendment a citizen of the United States. But I could also be naturalized. Now, naturalized is voluntary. Now, going back to the 13th Amendment, notice that voluntary servitude is permitted. They didn't outlaw voluntary servitude. If you want to be a slave, you can volunteer anytime you want you to be a slave. That's your decision. 
Freedom means you're free to become a slave if that's your free choice. If someone forces you to become a citizen, a slave, then it's an involuntary servitude, and it's illegal, and you, they can be thrown in jail for doing that. So anyway, how did we volunteer to become a citizen of the United States? Let me tell you this. We did it when we got our social security card. Huh, what? Wait a minute. We had to do that, Ralph. Everybody knows that. No, they don't know that. In fact, I want you to know it's a voluntary act. There is no law. Now, I can bring you to your attention. When I went through this myself, uh, when I was a high school student in Tucson, uh, in my senior year of high school, we had a class called civics, as I remember. And civics said to us, uh, we want you to come uh, come to the uh, uh, the, the, the <laughs> social security administrator from Tucson came and said, "Hey kids, of course this is paraphrased. Hey kids, you're all going to graduate here pretty soon, and when you go out for your first job, your boss is going to ask your future boss is going to ask you for a social security number, and now I know you don't have one." But I'm telling you, uh, you better get one because then he can give you a job and you'll be uh, you'll be able to get a job. Now, uh, that's what they told me. So I thought, well, gee, I guess I have to get one. I walked in the door and said, I want one of those Social Security cards. And they said, just like any other contract, I've got the right to sign it. So I signed it. They said, okay, good. Here's your number. Oh, by the way, now when you signed for that card, you also agreed to pay income taxes. Now, notice. I didn't know what I signed. There's no requirement to do that because there's no law forcing us to get a Social Security uh, letter, a number. And I want to prove that by reading two letters that I have in my files. In fact, I've got copies of them right in front of me right now. These two letters were written by the Social Security Administration. The first goes back to 1979, which is quite a long time ago, but it doesn't really matter because they've changed nothing. Here's the first letter, first sentence, quote, the Social Security Administration does not require that you have a Social Security number. Oh, yes, you do. You have to have one to get a number. No, I don't know where you came up with that. We don't have the right to force you because of the 13th Amendment. We cannot force you into a contract. That would be called involuntary servitude. So I don't know where you got that idea, but now that you've signed for it, you got to pay taxes. Now, let me read the second letter. This was dated 1990, a little bit more recently. Social Security is a voluntary system in that no one is required to get a number. Wait a minute. Well, then why did I believe I had to? Well, we don't know where you got that. I can almost guarantee you that that lady that came to my civics class never once mentioned the law. She said, you're going to have to have a number to, to get a job. Oh, well, I guess I better tell the guy I'm going to work for that I've got a Social Security number. But then I found out that I got to, gee, I got to pay taxes on it because the income tax says when you read the, the 1040 form, it says who must pay the tax? Citizens of the United States. Well, you can only become a citizen two ways. One, you're born in Washington, D.C., or you're naturalized in Washington, D.C. 
Now, let me tell you this. Income taxes are also voluntary. You volunteered under the 13th Amendment. They cannot force you to pay income taxes. They have no jurisdiction to force you to pay income taxes unless you become a citizen of the United States. And that's what it says. Now, I was called to jury duty, oh, I guess a couple, three years ago. And I, I, I think they used the car registrations or maybe vote, the voters list. So they said, dear Mr. Epperson, your name has uh, been selected as um, uh, being uh, uh, in our uh, jury uh, pool. And we're asking you to fill out the following questionnaire and send it back. And then if you're eligible to become the jury, we'll call you and tell you when and where you got to come. Or we'll tell you uh, with another letter. So I wrote the first question on the form was, are you a citizen of the United States, Mr. Epperson? So I wrote back. I said, no, I'm not. I said, I actually quoted the 13th Amendment and the 14th Amendment. I said, I'm not a citizen of the United States because I was not born there and I'm not naturalized. Naturalization is a process by which I voluntarily become a citizen of the United, of the, of Amer- of the United States by a decision to leave my country before, my previous country, to come here. Now, let me tell you, Arnold Schwarzenegger is probably the best example. It's the first one that comes to mind. Schwarzenegger was a citizen of Austria. And so, uh, apparently, Schwarzenegger decides to come to uh, America. (laughs) I can't do a good job of imitating him, but uh, people have. But he said, I want to come to America because I want to be living in the land of golden opportunities. So he filled out paperwork through Austria to renounce his Austrian citizenship and come to America. Now, he's given certain papers to live in the United States because he's going to become a naturalized citizen. I believe the period is five years. So he has to get someone in the in, uh, state in, the United, in America to agree to take care of him while he's here to pay for his meals and help him find a job and meet with their medical expenses. So he doesn't become a drag on society. So Schwarzenegger said, I'll do that. And he got someone here to say, oh, yeah, I know Arnie. Have him come over. I'll have him live with me. I'll meet all of his expenses until he can get a job. So now Schwarzenegger waited five years, then went through a little process of learning all about government and the Constitution and laws, et cetera. And I don't think they told him that he would become a citizen of the most powerful government ever devised by man because it's all in writing and it's all legal because it's in the Constitution. So Schwarzenegger got a flag in one hand and vowed, took an oath to allegiance to the government of the United States, meaning all power. And I don't think Arnold knows that. But he's a naturalized citizen. Now, when we walked in to get our Social Security numbers, because we were told we had to, uh, better get one to get a job by our Social Security Administrator, we all rushed down and asked the government of the United States for a benefit, and they can only give those benefits to citizens of the United States. They have no right to give benefits to the people, citizens of the state of Arizona. So I had to sign a contract. Yes, I want that benefit. And I'll be happy, I guess, to pay taxes. When I went to work, I noticed my first paycheck came out. I was paying taxes because I'm now a citizen of the United States. That's why I have to pay. Well, how did I do that? The only other way I could do it was by becoming naturalized. So I became a naturalized citizen of the United States when I got my socialist, socialist 
security number. Let me give you one more evidence of this fact. I live in Tucson, Arizona, which is 60 miles north of Mexico. So, by the way, just as a matter of interest, our state constitution defines our borders. And our southern border is the border of Mexico. It's defined by that in our Constitution. It's not by the 38th parallel or the 36th parallel. It's by the border of Mexico, which means that people who stream across the border are not entering the United States. They're entering the state of Arizona. It is our obligation, not the government of the United States, to stop them from coming in. We should build a wall, not the government of the United States. The people of Arizona. Now, if this was an army coming across because they declared war on us, then the United States has got the obligation to protect all 50 states. But as long as it's our border, we in Arizona have to build the wall, and we've not done that because our state government is willing to take the dole, meaning government payouts, and they decide, gee, if I, if I decide to build the wall ourselves, then we would lose those government benefits, and the wall is not built. It's not complete, and the government does not want a complete border. They want those people to come across the border for reasons we might be able to cover in a few more minutes. But just understand, paying taxes is voluntary. Let me give you one more example. When I was uh, lecturing in a, a city in Arkansas many years ago, probably in the late 90s, um, I was lecturing on this very point. And during the break, uh, about an hour or so into the thing, I took a break. We got all I got up and, and could get some of the drink, whatever. And the young couple came up. I would guess their late 20s. said, Ralph, uh, I want you to know that my daughter doesn't have a Social Security number. I said, well, how'd you do that? He said, let me tell you what happened. And his wife was nodding in agreement. He says, I went to, we, uh, we delivered our baby in the, the, the hospital in our city. And uh, uh, we were told to come back and we could pick it up on, at noon tomorrow because they had some tests to run or they'd teach it or whatever they, they wanted to do. So we came back on noon the next day and said, we're the uh, Jones family and we're here to pick up little Melissa, our, our daughter. And the, the lady, the nurse in charge says, well, we have no record of you getting a social security number for your daughter. So the young man says, we're not going to do that. Oh, no, uh, w- listen to this. We cannot release your daughter until she has a social security number. And they said, the young man said, uh, please get your administrator down here. So they called, the lady called, and the administrator showed up. He's, he doesn't wear a doctor's uniform. He's got a white shirt and tie on because he's a, a, a bureaucrat. And he said, what's the matter? He said, well, uh, your nurse tells us that we cannot have our daughter who's born here uh, to take her after she's now been uh, uh, healthy and certified. It's okay. Uh, so we're, we're here to pick her up, and your nurse tells us we, we have to get a Social Security number. That's correct. It's our, it's our policy here at the uh, Goodwill Hospital to uh, ask that you get one before we can release the daughter. And the young man says, I'm telling you right now, uh, Your, uh, your, uh, your Honor, um, if you do not release Melissa in 12 seconds, we will call the police and charge you with kidnapping. Kidnapping which means stealing of a baby without permission. 
and the, the bureaucrat with his white shirt and tie and says, thank you very much for coming in, which means to me he knew it was voluntary and you don't have to get a social security number. So when you deliver your, get your child delivered, if you do at a hospital, you do not, do not have to get a socialist security number for your daughter or son and refer them to this little argument. Ask them to produce the law. There is no law requiring any of us to get a socialist security card because they have no power to force us to get one until we become a naturalized citizen. So they tricked us just like Ben Franklin told us they could. They tricked us with more gunpowder or fire engines. We thought we were told we had to get one of those, so we walked in the door and got one and therefore became a naturalized citizen because they can only give that power to a naturalized citizen of the United States. And the way to do that is just like Arnold Schwarzenegger voluntarily. A friend of mine years ago asked under the Freedom of Information Act, the Socialist Security Administration, to provide him with copies of all of the papers that he signed when he got his license, you know, 20 years before. And according to him, they sent him everything that he signed, a copy of it, and there's not one mention of a requirement, a law, to get a number. So he did so voluntarily. Now, let's say that you try, try to argue the case. Well, I, I didn't know that it was voluntary, and I don't want it anymore. Try to get out. Same thing with income taxes. There are people claiming you can get out, and apparently now there are people succeeding in that. But I want to warn you, I'm not saying to you, do not stop paying taxes. Do not do that. They'll charge you with failure to file. Now, please understand, be very cautious. You, in this, I don't know if you, any, of you, any of you who are baseball fans know, maybe remember the hitter named Ted Williams. He was the last hitter to bat 400, which means 60% of the time he, he flied out or struck out or uh, didn't get a hit. So he was only batting 40% of the time with a hit. But that's phenomenal. But in this league, you've got to bat 1.00, which means you better cross every T and dot every I or you're going to go to jail. And a lot of people have ended up trying to fight the failure to file argument, and they, don't, they go to jail. So just be very cautious. But know this, when you are asked to get a Social Security number for your son or daughter by the hospital, don't do it. And ask the administrator to produce the law. There's no law. So I'm point, trying to point that out. So now, let's see if there's else, anything else I wanted to come. Oh, yes. Uh, I think I passed by a couple of things I wanted to mention. Uh Let's see, I'm flipping pages here in front of me. I've covered all these thoughts so far, so completely. By the way, just to remind you, there is a conspiracy. And by the way, that answers the question. Now, we are now in the midst of a, uh, a Democrat and Repu actually uh, primaries, which means we, the Republicans, and I'm a registered Republican, and I'm not, I, I'll mention this in a second. I'm registered Republican, but I don't vote Republican. I don't vote Democrat either. I'll talk about that in a minute. But we're in the process of doing this right now. But remember what uh, uh, Dr. Quigley taught Bill Clinton, that both political parties are controlled by the same people. 
That means that when the Democrats told Bill Clinton to ask the banks to start financing loans to people who can't pay it back, he did so on the authority of those above him, those who made him the president, called the International Anglophile Network. Now, when George Bush became elected, he was also under their control. And when they said, continue this recession, Bush did what he knew, uh, was ordered to do, and he did so. And then when Barack Obama became president, he also knew that he was controlled by the same people that, that elected uh, 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 Bill Clinton and then elected George Bush the, the junior. So in other words, all three of these presidents, one Republican and two Democrats, continued one policy that they could have ended in less than a year by a, few, a further a, by, a, by, by a, 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 a president of the United States in 1921 named Warren G. Harding. So anyway, I'm trying to point out that you can solve recessions and depressions, and we're not doing so. I think that's about, let's see if there's anything else before we uh, open it up maybe to questions if you wish. Hold on a second. Uh, there might be something else I want to discuss. Oh, yes, one more thought. Let me uh, go back to the citizen of the United States. Uh, this is funny that this particular event occurred probably in 1958 when I was still in college. But my brother, and my mother, father, and my stepfather, and my grandmother, five of us, drove across the border in, uh, into Mexico. Now, there was no, there was a stop. I think there was a gate, but, but once we uh, uh, looked, you know, uh, went there, and they, they maybe asked us, where are you going to do? We're just going to Nogales. And we're going to do shopping, and we're going to come back. So the Mexican authorities let us in, and we parked our car and then did our shopping and came back. And now we had to wait. Maybe we were the fourth car behind three of us in front who were uh, going through the border in Mexico to go back into the uh, state of Arizona. So my mother says, now, please understand, my mother, stepfather, and grandmother are all deceased. So I'm, I'm going to tell a story about one of them, how, they were, how she lied. But she's gone now, so they can't persecute her. And one more, my mother or my grand, my stepfather. But anyway, as we were getting close to the border, my mother told my grandmother, Mom, when we get to the border, uh, the man's going to ask you from the United States or America, he's going to ask you, where were you born? So please, Grandma, you don't have your papers because you were born in Poland and are a naturalized citizen. If you don't produce your papers, you can't get back into Arizona. So please, don't, when he says, where are you born, don't say Poland. Please say New York. And you've got a New York accent because you were, she came here when she was like 11 and lived and became naturalized. So just say New York. So my mother, uh, my mother answered New York. My father said Iowa. My brother said California. And I said Arizona. And my grandmother lied and said New York. And she was granted to come back in. Just a couple of years ago, I crossed into the border of Mexico to come back. And I was, this time I walked across, I was standing in line. And when I got to the, the immigration service of Amer the United States, I was asked, are you a citizen of the United States? Now, why, well, why are they asking that question? Because they know <laughs> that 99% of the American people have a social security card, which means they're a naturalized citizen of the United States. So you answer yes. 
So I answered, I said, I was born in Arizona, and they let me across so far. But if they don't, I'm prepared to show them that I'm not a citizen because the only place the citizenship of the United States is mentioned is in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. And I'm not a citizen of the United States because I'm not, or in the 14th Amendment, I'm not a person born or naturalized in the United States, even though I am. But because I voluntarily did so, I'm asking him to produce the contract that I signed that says I became a naturalized citizen, and there is no such contract. Now, there, <laughs> one more last comment. I talked about being a person. Those of us who are citizens of the United States are called persons which means we live by privilege. Privilege is a license granted to us to act morally, but only after we get the license. Now, I ask you, the Roe versus Wade decision, but before I get into that, let's just get into it this way. For centuries, in fact, way back to 400 B.C., the Hippocratic Oath, which was an oath administered to every medical doctor in the world, as far as I know, including, let's say, at least in America, the Hippocratic Oath, which part of which says that he would not give a woman something to abort her child. It was the only, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh, <laughs> treatment specified where he wouldn't do. In other words, just provide good care, for the patients and care for them, et cetera, and not to give them something to cause an abortion. That has been removed from the Hippocratic Oath. Check it out. Go check it out on the, um, on the uh, inter- Internet and read it yourself. And go back to the original. You'll find out there's, it talks about a pessary, which is some, some way to abort a child, way back even at 400 B.C. So in America, we didn't allow abortions because there was no need to most people knew it was wrong so they didn't do it but now the 14th amendment says that the fetus oh by the way they changed the name because in america prior to the to the roe v wade decision we all thought we were and we were people a member of the of the body known as people and they had individual rights to life liberty and pursuit of happiness amongst others so a baby had unalienable rights at the moment of conception. So they couldn't say the baby was had no rights because in America the baby did have rights. So they changed the word or words describing a baby to the word called fetus. A fetus, therefore, is a new thing called an unborn child, unborn blob of cells that we can declare is separate from the woman, but it's part of the woman and it's her body and she can decide what to do with this fetus, this blob of cells. But then when you read the decision of the Roe v. Wade decision by the Supreme Court, they said that the fetus is not a person given uh, uh, given freedom, or I guess given power is under the 14th Amendment. They said she's not the baby unborn fetus is not a person under the Fourteenth Amendment, which means it's not a citizen and therefore lives by rights and we have the by liberty by the uh, license and we are deciding it doesn't have the liberty or the license to become a citizen and we can allow the woman to terminate it. 
Now, let me point out one of the real paradoxes with this. Women who are pregnant who get into an automobile accident and the baby, the I'll call it a baby, the fetus, according to the 14th Amendment, is injured in some way. And when it's born, it has rights while it was in the womb to sue the party that caused the injury. So in some cases, it's a person. In some cases, it's a, a member of the body known as people. Can you see the real quandary? This puts these people to support it. Ask the person who says it's your body. Do they want their child who's injured in their fetus? So when it's born, if it was injured by a drunken driver, they can sue the drunken driver to pay for the injuries to that, to that fetus? And most parents will say, yes, of course I do. Do you understand? So it's a fetus but that has a, is a person, not a person, under the 14th, and a fetus which does have a, a status as being a member of the body, of people, and it has rights after it's born. So I'm telling you that people have unalienable rights that cannot be tampered with by government, and persons live by privilege. We have the right to secure a license granted by government, and that which government can license, it can also regulate and also restrict. And that's why when you took the vow in front of a minister that you would love, honor, and obey for till death do you part, now with a license, you're granted permission to get a divorce. Wait a minute. That's kind of separating church and state. You took a vow in front of God to stay with your 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 spouse, your your bride or your your husband or wife until death do us part. But now the government says, no, you have the right to break out your divorce. And so now couples who took that oath, well, government gave me the privilege of divorcing you. See what this government has done to us? Now, let me end with this. I live in Arizona. I learned years ago there is no law requiring me to get a driver. They call it a driver license. When I first came back in 1976 after being away for 16 years, I walked into the state of Arizona to get my driver's, I call it driver's license, and I got the little booklet out, and it said, Governor says, welcome to Arizona. We thank you for getting your license and uh, we appreciate what you're doing. And here's all the rules and the statutes in Arizona in brief form to tell you how to drive in the state of Arizona. And in the back of the things, it talks about a law. If you're a chauffeur or drive for, uh, for hire, like a trucker, you have to have a chauffeur's license. And there's a law that requires that because that's called interstate. But we have the unlegal right to travel. There's no mention. There was no mention of the law in the little booklet. So wait a minute. If there's no law, you don't have to get a driver's license. That's correct. Now, as soon as you get a driver's license, you're telling the state that you recognize you don't have to get one, and you're going to get one, but you're also going to abide by the statutes they, they, they pass that are not law. Now, let me end with this. Little Rafi Epperson was attending some classes in Arizona, Tucson, and I went, went like half, probably... 70% of the time I attended because I was working most on Wednesday nights on some book or some order or something. But I went and attended, and I got the lesson that we were learning how to, to get back to the, to the common law, which grants us the right to travel. So, uh, or recognizes, not granted, because it, it's yours. So uh, 
So <laughs> one night in that class, two young men walked in. Uh, I would, <laughs> judging from their appearance, I would dare say that the two of them had a haircut just 15, <laughs> 15 minutes before they walked in. Every hair was in place. They had a shave just before they walked in the door. Uh, they had a, their shirts and their pants pressed. Uh, they shined their boots to a spit polish. <laughs> and they sat down. It was open to the public. We never asked who they were, asked them to identify themselves or asked them what they thought. They got up and left. So I went up to the teacher, who was a friend of mine, and said, hey, I think those guys were policemen. And he said, yes, I think so too. So um, I said, I'll bet you they were writing down license plates in the parking lot. Now, the, the, we were renting a, a church uh, for Wednesday nights because they didn't meet on Wednesday nights, but our pastor, the pastor teaching our class, who was retired, knew the pastor at that church, so we rented it from him for Wednesday night for a small fee for the lights and the maintenance and church, et cetera. So we were happy to rent it, and we were using it. So the, it had its own parking lot, and it was in a residential neighborhood, so it was if you attended the classes, you didn't need to park on the street, you could park on the lot. And uh, so <laughs> we believed they were out there uh, writing down license plate numbers because we had figured out how to beat a traffic ticket. <laughs> Any traffic ticket, you could beat it. So anyway, um, so I, w- I never paid attention to it until maybe a couple of years later, and I was I, uh, allegedly speeding on a street where everybody speeds. Uh, um, but anyway, I got stopped, pulled over. And by the way, just as a lesson for those of you listening, uh, whenever you get stopped by a policeman, try to find private property, meaning a, a grocery store, gasoline station, a parking mall, uh, maybe even a house, and then ask the a policeman to ask the owner if you can leave your car if you get arrested, because if you don't, they'll tow your car, and that can be very expensive. So anyway, just as an aside, stop on private property. So anyway, I get out of the car, as I always do. I mean, I always have never gotten a ticket for 20-some years, but I get out of the car, and uh, the policeman gets out of his car, and we're on in a shopping uh, center, and I get out of the car. He's right behind me, and he says, uh, first words out of his mouth is, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I said, well, that's nice. I guess he's going to give me the, because I look so nice. <laughs> I'm so handsome. <laughs> he said, I'm not going to give you a ticket. So I said, well, what did I do? He said, you spent. I said, officer, listen, everybody speeds. I was keeping up with traffic because if you don't, if you do in the speed limit, you get run over. And so I don't want to get run over or get rear-ended, so I keep up with traffic. So anyway, he says, well, don't do that anymore. He got back. He could have, didn't ask for my insurance, didn't ask for my registration, noticed that I didn't have a uh, a, cert, a, a license, not a license, but a re- registration board and insurance, and I didn't even ask for my driver's license. And he could have taken to me for nothing less than the fact that I didn't have my seatbelt on. So anyway, he didn't do that either. He left. A couple, three, four years later, I got uh, uh, ran a red light. I went through on yellow and, and later on a red. So the policeman stopped me. The same thing happened, pulled on to private property. I'm not going to give you a ticket. So I started thinking, wait a minute. I know I'm good-looking, and that must be why they're doing this, but that doesn't make sense. Two different guys, both of which assessed that I was really good-looking. They're not going to give good-looking people tickets. So I said, uh, what did I do? He said, oh, you ran away. So I said, okay. So as I was driving away, it dawned on me that the policemen have a computer in their car. And they used to use their telephone. And while they're, while they're waiting for you to pull off the road, they're giving your license plate number to – to the uh, to the uh, over the telephone or radio, I guess you call it, in the police car, or uh, now with the computer, they're calling the headquarters, typing in the license plate to see whether the car was stolen or being uh, licensed or any tickets or outstanding warrants or anything for you as a driver. It's because they didn't have my license, but they had the registration. 
And up there, there was a code. I'm going to say 4712, which means do not ticket, which means like the <laughs> same thing as don't ticket this guy. He's the son of the mayor. <laughs> so I'm not the son of the mayor, but I have taken those classes. And the one thing that they didn't, the policemen didn't want us to do was to start teaching others that they can beat any traffic ticket they want by knowing the law and the statute. So they decided not to give us tickets so we wouldn't teach others. So I now have a license plate on the back of my car that says, do not ticket. And by the way, I just bought a new car a couple of years ago for the first time ever. And I told the dealer, I said, if I can't transfer that plate, I don't want that car. So uh, PCA, no, no, we'll arrange it. So they did. They put my old plate on my new car. So I'm still given the warning of 4712. Don't don't ticket this good looking guy, even though he's uh, for the reasons that he's handsome. Okay. I think that pretty well covers it, uh, at least uh, in brief review. Let's resume one last uh, state uh, I want to comment on. Uh, I think that just about does it. Of course, this is, as you can hear, I'm flipping pages. Oh, yeah, by the way, the 1040, uh, 1040 income tax form says, who must pay the taxes? U.S. citizens. Wait a minute. How did you become a U.S. citizen? You got that Social Security card. You're a naturalized citizen. Oh, by the way, that's one thing I forgot to mention. I Just as a matter of interest, I walked in a couple of months ago and got the little manual that they give you when you come in to get your license renewed. Everybody gets one. At least you can get one if you wish one. So I got it and opened it up and looked through it. There's no mention of laws. Now, I got my first license in 1976, and there was no mention. And there's a picture of this governor saying, oh, thank you very much for coming in and getting your license. Here are the statutes that are applicable to you, and uh, thank you very much. There's no law even mentioned about getting a chauffeur. There must be a different manual for them. So I stopped. I I went into a convenience store, and as I did, um, as I was walking back to my car, I noticed a police woman pulled up and stopped and was getting out. So I went up to her and said, ma'am, if you don't mind, can I ask you a question? Sure, go ahead. I said, if you stop me on the uh, streets of Tucson, and asked for my driver's license, and I didn't produce one because I've never had one, what statute did I violate? Well, she says, I don't know, but I'll look it up. She had a little booklet in her, in her uh, shirt pocket. She pulled it out and said, oh, she flipped and found it. Uh, uh, Arizona Revised Statute, I'll make this up, 2816. 2816 says, thou shalt have the driver's license. So I went, I wrote it down, and I went back to my computer and typed in uh, the uh, uh, state statutes, typed in 2816, and guess what it says? All, all persons driving in Arizona are required to get a driver's license. All persons. They know, they know that we are now persons under the 14th Amendment. So they've, they've actually given a, a statute to something that didn't exist. There was no statute requiring you to get a license because we still have the constitutional right. Now, I'll end with this last thought. If you want to avoid traffic tickets, there's a way to do so. Go to my website, and I'll give you that name in a minute, and order the little booklet called the UCC Connection. I think it's 6 or $8, and I think it's a total of 8 bucks. And I'll send you a copy of it, because in there it tells you how to beat it. And you can beat it as well. And... Uh, and I can and get I, I I have to admit I will only speak for Arizona. And so far it's worked in Arizona. I've never gotten stopped. 
outside the state of Arizona, but I'm willing to try that as well if I do. Because I'm, I'm extended these same rights and privileges if I'm stopped in California that I am in Arizona. Uh, so, anyway, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, that's enough. I think that's just about all I wanted to mention today. Uh, Blue Raven, if you're there, I think that's it. If you want to take some phone calls, that's fine with me. Yeah, thank thank you, Bill. That that was interesting. Everything really good information you're sharing. I actually got we actually got a pretty good little crowd listening right now in the chat room right now, as we're we're both on live. Okay, what I suggest, by the way, for those that are there, mention that there, this will be on uh, uh, later on. Uh, you call it the archives, and they can listen to the whole thing. It's about an hour and a half long. Uh, and you can listen to it all because I'm sure if you came in late, you missed part of it because it's like it's like building a wall. You lay down the foundation, then the first layer of stones, and then the second layer, third, fourth, fifth, and you ended up with the tenth layer. So if you came in at layer number five, you don't know what the first four layers were. So I would urge you to try to hear the whole hour and a half uh, afterwards by checking on the archives on this uh, radio station. I um, I. I got some questions from the listeners. Go ahead. Okay. Um, the first question, one of the listeners, I had to, I had to actually write this down on paper now while I was listening to you. Okay. Um, have you ever heard of the name of the Carols? No. You never heard of the Carols? No. One of the one of the listeners and co- comments, the Carols, they were also they were also some of the founding fathers. They oh, were you, okay. the the person who wanted me to ask this actually was a listener by the name of Walt Stickle, and he 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 comments. So I'd like to he Walt Walt is at Walt comment Walt has commented on this so i guess he's asking walt would be asking what you what do you think about the he he's i guess he's asking what do you think about the founding fathers do you believe that they were christian and i'm gonna let let you answer there do you believe the founding fathers were christian Okay, let me. By the way, I just looked at the signers of the Constitution, and there's a signer from Maryland called Daniel Carroll, C A R R O L L. So apparently, uh, what this gentleman, or, uh, this caller mentioned is true. And let me cover that very briefly. Please understand, I do not believe that Christians would give total, unlimited, unrestricted power to Congress as these men did. In other words, they knew, I'll say it this way, there were 56 signers of the Declaration. There were 39 signers of the Constitution. So and maybe not only nine of the original signers of the Declaration were there to sign the Constitution. So you could argue that there was 39 signers. 30 people might not have known about the Declaratory Act. I don't know. But at least nine of them did know, including Ben Franklin. And Franklin's the one that taught the other legislators, how to use words to deceive. Now, to end your, end your question, uh, this opens up a whole, I better not get into this thing because it's going to open up a Pandora's box. And I'm not ready. 
I have an answer that'll <laughs> that's going to take another six hours to cover about what they did. I will say this: the 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 Masons have declared that only nine or ten, I think, of the found, of the those who signed the Declaration were Masons. Now, I've read estimates that as many as 53 of the 56 were, but I, I only use the word of the Masons. And one of the things I do believe is that uh, Masonic temples were destroyed uh, all over the original states during the war, and records were destroyed. So years later, they were unable to identify certain members as being Masons. But they do declare that nine of them were Masons. But 30 of the, I'm oh, sorry, forgive me, 23 23 of the 39 who signed the Constitution were Masons. And I'm telling you, you can prove that those Masons knew about this nation's future because they put it in the back of the Great Seal of the United uh, the back of the dollar bill in the Great Seal of the United States. In other words, Masons were the ones that designed that Great Seal, and that conceals our what I call our secret destiny. Now that opens up a four-hour DVD. I urge any of you to listen to. Please give your country four hours. Oh, I don't know one watches a four-hour DVD. That's true. That's why I make four hours, eight hours. I've even got one that's 26 hours long. (laughs) Some people watch 26 hours of DVDs. A Super Bowl lasts six hours, and we sit there and watch that thing happened but we okay please i'll just end at that america's secret destiny will show you that we were placed on a path by our founding fathers which were in the 23 or 39 is a clear majority so they got what they wanted the novos ordo seclorum on the back of our dollar bill i'll leave it at that so that in my humble opinion they were not i repeat not christians at all because Christians would never, ever, I, I, <laughs> if they did, they were calling themselves Christians. Those people would never, ever give Congress total unlimited power. Yes, a, a person commented um, that the founding fathers were Freemasons, not just Freemasons, Jesuits, Illuminists, Satanists, and New Agers. And... Yeah. And somebody else is also commenting that um, that in Congress, all of the de- I that well, my myself, I'm going to agree with one of the comments because I don't vote anymore because I do believe that it's all well, set up. Please, I, if I may, let me please respond to the okay. comment about the Jesuits and the Illuminati and everybody else. Prove it. Please understand, the Masons put their writings so anyone can read them. And that's all that I've done. I know what they, what they believe in because I've read their literature. I'm not a Mason, never been a Mason, would, and was never asked to be a Mason, and would never join if I was asked. I'm telling you, we can read their own literature. Now, show me in the, where any of our founding fathers were Jesuits, were Illuminati, or were uh, Satanists. A, a listener said, a listener gave me some proof. They told me to go to www, the website is Grand 
G-R-A-N-D, Grand Designed Exposed dot com. www.granddesignexposed.com. Let me make a statement. In, 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 in response to what that man just said, let me tell you this. Please understand. The average American is not going to believe the Jesuits were directly involved in setting this nation on a course that's out to destroy it. But you can prove it. Prove it. Prove it. In the writings of the Masons, I've done that. Please understand. Try to convince our neighbors in Iowa that the Jesuits are involved. You're not, they're going to say, like I just did, prove it. And we're going to read some guy's comments without proof from some Jesuits. The Masons have put it in writing. Please. That's so easy to use. You can. Most people know about the, the Masons. They might not be a member, but they have family members. Fourteen of our presidents have been Masons, and not one of them was a Jesuit. Not one of them was an acknowledged Illuminati. Maybe Washington, but he was the only one, if ever. And even that we can't prove. Please deal with the issues we can prove. I don't care about that. I'm not even going to watch it. I'm dealing with what we can prove right now in your face by saying, here's a book written by a Mason. Read it yourself, and you'll see what they're doing to this nation. So forgive me for a little bit of anger, because I'm tired of this. I've been dealing with this thing for 40 years of my life. And it's simply deal with what we can prove. I don't care what this guy says. If he's not a Jesuit and can prove it with documentation, I think he's blowing. I'm, I'm sure I'll just leave it at that. Tell him to prove it. If he better have Jesuits proving it. One more or less comment. Ronald Reagan, this so-called conservative Christian, joined, I'm sorry, became an honorary 33rd degree Mason before he left office. So 14 members are acknowledged by the Masons. I believe there's more, but we don't know. I'm only going to use the word of the Masons. We know the Masons directly set this government up to fail. That is a matter of easily proven evidence. But yes. I, okay. Get guest, guest number two in the chat post, Freemasonry is a secret society. They don't tell anybody what they do. Somebody just posted let me let me let me reassure that person, or let me speak to that person specifically. Uh, get in touch with me, and I will get in touch with. I will give you the name of a publisher in Montana who sells their books. You do not have to be a Mason, and you can read their own literature. Do you understand what I just said? There's not one book that I'm familiar with that I've been reading for 50 years where the Jesuits say what they're going to do, but I can tell you the Masons say what they're going to do, and I can tell you how to find it in their own literature. Please, EpersonRaw at AOL.com or even on Facebook, Ralph Epperson, get in touch, and I'll give you the name of that publisher, the printer, in, who's a Mason, who claims to be a Mason. I bought books from him. I've read them word for word. I'll give you the references in those books to say you were reading. Some of them, they're very boring and tedious, but you can learn what the Masons are up to very easily. By the way, Reagan, when he wrote his letter back to uh, the, pres- the, uh, uh, the sovereign grand commander of the Masons in the 33rd degree in Washington, said, called him brother, dear brother, which sounds to me like he was more than an honorary member. So Ronald Reagan, the so-called conservative, joined a secret society as an honorary 
and I don't know what that means, except that it was, I've got a picture of you doing it, so there's no question, and the missions have acknowledged it. Okay, anything else? Yeah, I got, um, let me see, uh, another question. Um, do you believe that, so, do, do you believe that the Constitute, that, the, that we are not able to impeach Obama, we can't impeach any of the presidents, and the reason being is because the United States is a corporation. Oh, no, that's an issue. Please, we don't need to get into that. The reason we can't do it is because there's a conspiracy. Please go back to what Bill Clinton told us live on national television. There is an international Anglophile network that controls this nation, period. He admitted it publicly. You want to read it in his own book? Tell me, tell me, let me know, and I'll give you the details. There's a con con conspiracy that admits they control both parties equally. This, please understand, Obama, under the Constitution, which many people believe is still in effect, they believe... They believe that Barack Obama is violating the Constitution by making law, which he's doing. That means that Congress should impeach him. They're obligated to impeach him. Nothing's happening. Why? Because all of those men, hold on, America, hold on. The Constitution is null and void, and I can prove that. Did you hear what I said? I'm sorry. Yes, you, you said the Constitution is null and void, right? Yes, and yes. I, can give, I can give you this Supreme Court decision, and you can read it yourself. Please, you've got to watch America's Secret Destiny. I'll show you how to find it yourself. The reason they're doing nothing about impeaching Barack Obama is because they don't have any constitutional authority. It's gone. Because we don't have a constitution, right? That's correct. Right. That's correct. I agree with, I do agree. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I want to say my own comment. This is my own comment. Um, I do believe that the constitution has been null and void ever since the creation of the Federal Reserve. No, wrong. Wrong. Please, if I may, okay. cite, cite, cite how the Federal Reserve Abolish the Constitution. Please, I've got a Supreme Court. 1938, the Constitution was in effect, although it wasn't adhered to, in, up till 1938. Please, all of those details are documented. Please understand what I'm saying. I've spent, I want to slow down. I've spent 50 years of my life researching this stuff. I've read over 1,100 books. I've done over 500 talk shows all over this country, some of which have been nationwide. I've been on the History Channel twice. I've published four books. I've got 20, 22 DVDs on the market. You can watch and learn, one of which is 26 hours long. I taught at a community college. This very information about conspiracy when I was paid by the state of Oregon to do so. I run my own talk show. I've debated people on both sides of this issue for years. I do it anytime I can. Please watch America's Secret Destiny. Please. And then say, notice, if it's documentable, we don't need anything about the Jesuits. We can prove it by our, our just simple act of showing the American people how what's happened. We're living under the Uniform Commercial Code. 
I'm telling you, it's that simple. The Constitution is null and void. Okay. <laughs> I think I just lost the contact. Are you still there, Blue Raven? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm trying to see. Okay, anybody in the chat room, any questions? Do you want to post anything in the chat room that you want to be want me to ask Mr. Epperson? I don't see anybody typing anything. Okay, that's fine. Let, let me just mention this. Uh, I have a website. All four of my books are there. Uh, all, about 20 of my um, uh, DVDs and booklets are there, plus my four books. Uh, www.ralph-epperson.com. You mentioned it in the early stages. Just type in Ralph Epperson and it'll show up. Go go to Google videos and type in Ralph Epperson. I've got at least nine, I think it is, DVDs you can watch for free. Please, you don't have to buy the DVD. I'm not. I'm, I'm selling it if you want a copy. I'll make you a copy. But if you want to watch it, it's on the Internet right now. America's Secret Destiny. It's four hours approximately, four hours long. Please give oh. yourself and your country four hours and watch it. Somebody did post a question. Um, they posted, oh, okay. Uh, what does what does he think about, meaning you, Mr. Epperson, yeah, what, does, what does Mr. Epperson think about Donald Trump? Oh, God. <laughs> let's, let's, you know, I, I was going to type something in on that in Facebook this morning. Let me say this. First of all, it's very premature. Uh, I want to I want to give you a one line. Say all of you should memorize this. Please remember this. Quote: One way they look, another way they steer. End quote. What does that mean? It doesn't matter what he says. It's going to be what he does. Barack Obama made promises and he never kept any. Ronald Reagan made more promises than anyone. I think a concern we all believed him and he did everything opposite of that. In fact, it might, let me take a few minutes about Reagan to show you it doesn't matter what he says. I'm going to give you a personal story. It'll take five minutes. In the early 60s, I went to California for my first job after college. And I didn't know how to vote in the 1962 California election. So I decided I'm going to vote for Nixon because he's a Republican, and my mother was a Republican. I didn't worry about that. So I voted for him, and I said, wait a minute, you just gave away a vote. So I joined the Young Republicans. They were very actively involved in uh, getting, uh, making Barry Goldwater, giving him the nomination. They believed him uh, in his books that he had written, and he was senator from Arizona. So they were involved, and I got involved in that, that whole crusade. Uh, I worked hard in, in, in get Goldwater the California nomination, the Republican, and walked precincts and sealed envelopes and stuck on stamps and folded sheets and, and gave up discussions or held conferences and meetings, everything I could to get Goldwater nominated. And uh, I, I noticed that the media was very critical of Barry Goldwater. I mean, they were vicious. And I kept saying, well, that just shows that he's really a threat. So then I remember that Ronald Reagan was also touring the country, giving another speech, and was very popular. And I said, boy, that's fantastic. And he's, he's saying the same things that, Ronald, that Barry Goldwater's saying. But I noticed the media was not attacking Ronald Reagan. I said, why not? Now, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, 
uh, Trump is uh, attracting a lot of attention. He's not getting much of media attention. I mean, not contrary. But let's go back to Reagan. So I said, boy, we're going to be able to elect to make him governor and then ultimately the president. And there was a group of conservatives formed in California. Maybe some of you are listening in California. Remember, maybe it's still alive. The United Republicans of California. We cut that down to UROC, UROC, we called it. 14,000 members strong. So after the defeat of Barry Goldwater in 64, I think it was 66, maybe it was 68, I don't remember, but a short time later, Ronald Reagan is going to run for governor. Guess who got behind him? Rock. They walked the precincts. They urged people to listen. They held the rallies, manned the offices, raised the money, whatever they could to make sure Reagan became governor because he was a conservative. And they watched him for six years do exactly the opposite of everything he said. All the promises he made, he violated all of them. And they passed a resolution. I've got a copy of it still in my files, five pages long, documenting his promise. One line sentence. Reagan promises to abolish the Department of Education in in California. Action. No action was done on this. Nothing. And then there were probably well over 200 of these, I think, by actual count, on those five pages. Not one of which Reagan did what he was saying. One way he looked, another way he steered. And he became our president and didn't made enormous promises as well as president and never, I won't say never, I'm sure he kept some of them, but basically he gave us more debt than all of the presidents before him, never abolished the, uh, the Department of Education, never reduced taxes. In fact, he never balanced the budget once. And all those things were consistent in opposition to the conservative position. So please remember, one way they look, another way they steer. What they say is meaningless. Go back to Barack Obama, remember all of his promises and the ones that he's never kept, and he never intended to keep them. So wait, be patient, keep listening to him, and I would urge people to start keeping track because it's quite likely that he's going to be elected. Or either he or Bernie Sanders Ray, Reagan was the one I believe started that Rex Rex eighty four or Rex eighty five for the concentration camps FEMA camps. Well, let's not get into Ray. It's another issue. He's gone. But I'm just trying to point out. Please be patient. Let this guy hang himself and keep track of what he's saying. Document these things, and then when he doesn't do them, he's elected. We've got him. Then we've got a power. Of course, we don't. The UCC doesn't give us the right to uh, to remove any of these people. It's a contract. Yeah. We sign a contract. He'll become president for six, four years, and if he does, it stays in office. We can't remove him. Okay. Another question from from somebody: What do you believe that that this is higher up? That this goes back? To, that all roads lead to the Vatican to the Jesuit? to the papacy, and do you believe that the papacy, do you believe that the Pope, that the papacy is the Antichrist? Okay, first of all, uh, I don't get into the question of who's the Antichrist. Uh, I remember uh, people found Ronald Reagan's 
Ronald Wilson Reagan, and Ronald has six letters, Wilson has six letters, and Reagan has six letters. So he's obviously the Antichrist. I just leave that to those who are better qualified to answer that question. Let's go back to the Catholic Church. No, the Catholic Church is controlled by the same people that control the state of uh, the United States, England, France, Africa, China, Russia, etc. There is a 6,000-year-old conspiracy called Babylon. Now, that's not biblical. That's historical. I'm talking about a 6,000-year-old conspiracy. If you want to know what that is, get my book entitled The New World Order. It's being promoted abundantly on the uh, Facebook. I've just reordered more copies. They'll be here in about two weeks. If you want the book, go to my website. The price has been reduced. Order the book for me. I'll send it to you as soon as I get a copy. Within one day or two days of receiving the order, read that book. What is, People, the, name, what is the name of that book again? It's called Simply the New World Order. If you're on Facebook, you're seeing it put up, put up there by people all over the Internet. Uh, someone, someone sent in a copy, uh, two, two pictures side by side of the cover and page XX meaning 20, which is an introductory page telling you what we're going to read in the rest of the book. And people have photocopied that and got people. Because in 1989, when I wrote the book, I predicted that homosexual marriages would become legal. Huh? What? You said that in 1989? How did you know that, Epperson? Are you a prophet? No. I'm an, <laughs> I'm an historian. And then you'll read what the other changes are coming. And it's going to be scary. Please understand the New World Order ain't going to be fun. But that's another issue. We didn't talk about that today. We talked about the founding of this nation. That's Yeah, that's some interesting information. A, a lot of good information, interesting, that you're sharing this afternoon. Well, uh, you, could, you could learn about the Masons in my uh, uh, eight-hour DVD called Conspiracy Against Christianity. Yeah, I see in which that. I, doc, I document what I say about the Masons, giving the source, the book, who the author was, what his connection to the Masons were, was, and what he wrote on page so-and-so documentation. You can verify every quote in that book. I've challenged the Masons all over this country, in fact, the world, to find one reference misquoted, and a book was published in 1990. Not one has ever found one error. It's quoted accurately. You can verify it from official sources. And that's all we need to save this country. We don't need to indict the, the Jesuits or the Illuminati. We've got the Masons who set this nation up. 23 of the founders, as I just pointed out repeatedly, were the ones who gave Congress total unlimited power, unrestricted power. It's in the Constitution. And they were the ones who changed it passed the 14th, 13th and 14th Amendments, so now we are now citizens of the United States who live by privilege. We're persons. And in Arizona, if I'm a person, I have to get a driver's license to drive on a constitutionally guaranteed uh, freedom of mine. Right. Okay. Well, is there anything else? Any, any questions for... Um... Guest four in the chat room, do you have any questions? Or I, I don't see any questions posted. 
let me let me just say this in conclusion. Please understand, I have shared a great deal of information. And any one of those parts could get you to say, this guy's a crazy man. But then what about the rest of them? Please understand, everything that I said, I was reading from the Constitution. I was reading from the Declaratory Act. I was reading from the amendments. I was reading the simple English language. I want you to know, our founding, the, the people that lived in, lived in America knew what the Constitution said. They knew. Today, these young people have no idea. They've never even heard of a Constitution. Why is that? Because they don't want us to know what they've done to our system of government. Please understand, we've been under the control of this conspiracy since its founding. Way back in the 1600s, our founding fathers were part of this Babylonian ancient mystery religion. That's provable. I do got it. I do got a question. Go ahead. What do you think, Mr. Epperson, what, what, what do you think about this Jesuit Pope coming to the United States this mm-hmm. month in September? Uh, he, <laughs> he's coming for a very important reason. He's going to tell us something, uh, but it's just like anyone else is a tourist. He has no, no direct influence on what happens in America because he's controlled by the the same conspiracy that Barack Obama is controlled by, the Babylonian ancient mystery religion, which is 6,000 years old, provable once again without even mentioning the Bible. It's 6,000 years old. It's all documented in my research, 50 years of which is available to you anytime you read or watch any of my books or DVDs. Please, if you do nothing else after this is over, watch America's Secret Destiny. Get in touch with me on Facebook. Just type in Ralph Epperson. I'm all over Facebook. I'm using it as a way to educate people. I take phone calls. My phone number is listed on my catalog, my website. I take phone calls for people who are stunned. I've never talked to an author before. And I said, you're available. I said, yes, man, I'm right here. I'm really the same guy that wrote the book. One One more last question. What do you think of Mr. Epperson? Of have you heard of Alberto Rivera? He was an ex-Jesuit priest that left the Vatican. Later on, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And Alberto Rivera, ex-Jesuit, when he left the Vatican, he started exposing that the Jesuit that the Vatican or that the Vatican created Islam, and mm-hmm. I, I do believe there is a lot of truth to that. The Vat, there is well, a there is a connection with the Vatican and Islam. Albert Pike wrote a letter in which he predicted three world wars. The earliest reference to that to that letter was in a book that was written in 1890 something. And he predicted it was way before World Wars One, Two, and then Three. And in that letter, World War One, World Wars One and Two occurred exactly as Pike reported. Please go to Google, type in Pike's third uh, three World War letter. Read it yourself. World War Three will occur when quote we we unleash the nihilists. End quote. Nihilism is defined by revolution, violence. That's exactly what they're unleashing right now. World War III started 
on 9-11-2001. That date was known to the people that made the movie uh, Back to the Future in 1985, six years, I'm sorry, 16 years before it happened. There were clues in Back to the Future that you can watch with your own eye that it was going to be a terrorist act on the World Trade Center and by by, uh, Arabian or Arab extremists. It's all in there, put out in 1985. So that thing was planned not with the terrorists, but by our own government. It was certainly an inside job. That is so provable by hundreds of hours of DVDs made by mostly amateurs that document that thing was planned by our own government, not by these terrorists. Those airplanes had no, none, zip, zero, none, no, no terrorists on board any of them. In fact, they were all empty, empty, empty. There were no terrorists in any of those airplanes. And thirdly, secondly, the nine, wherever that plane was, 53 or wherever it was, did not crash in Shanksville. The coroner, when he got there to look for the, to dig up the bodies and certify who, you know, put the, put it together and get them out of there, found no bodies, no bodies. And almost every crash of every airplane, there's always bodies, engines and parts, uh, tails, wings, uh, luggage, none, nothing existed there, but there's a monument commemorating the loss of all those people. And that when the plane crashed now at Shanksville, it's as bogus. I'll say this as bogus as a $1 bill. Interesting. That's very interesting. I guess that's all the questions I got. So, well, um, uh, Thomas, I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity. Ex- I hope that, I hope yeah, that I want to thank you. I'm. I, this is really a, an honor to have you on with me for the very first time, and I'm hoping maybe maybe in the future, in the near future, maybe we could do some more podcasts together. Anytime I can be of help to anyone that wants it, please get in touch. Thank you so very much. Oh, yeah. One more last time, Mr. Epperson. Please give out your information again. Yes. Uh, website, www.ralph, R-A-L-P is in Petunia, H. And then there's a dash, Ralph dash, Epperson, E as in Edward, P-P as in Peter, E-R-S-O-N.com. Ralph-Epperson.com. Google Ralph Epperson. It'll show up if you can't remember all the rest of the details. If you want to get in touch with me, EppersonRaw at AOL.com. You can find me. I'm all over the If you're on Facebook, find me. Get back in touch. You'll see my uh, book being talked about by people all over the, in fact, the globe now. I'm getting orders and letters from people in various foreign lands that have got the uh, Internet. They want to know how to get the copy of the book or how to talk to me or where they can get it. And I'm more than happy to answer and I'm on Facebook, just simply Ralph Epperson. I can't thank you enough, uh, Thomas. Uh, I'll be happy to do whatever I can to assist in the future. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for giving your personal time this afternoon. I really am humbly grateful. This is really an honor. And with that, I'll end the podcast right now. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.